Hey, this is Brandon Roerig, and you're listening to the Virtues Academy podcast. See, I knew what you were thinking. You've got a lot of podcasts you try to keep up with, but you needed just one more for your life to feel really complete. So here you go. You're welcome. This podcast is about starting a classical Christian school. We're in the process of launching Virtues Academy in Columbus, and I thought a podcast would be the perfect format to help tell the story of our school as it comes to life. My goal is to release an episode every week to give you updates on the progress of Virtues Academy, share the philosophy of classical Christian education, and just share what I'm learning and thinking about as we move forward. For this first episode, we just had an interest meeting at Awakened Church, and I wanted to share my presentation with you. I recorded the audio live with a really nice lavalier setup, but when I got home and listened to it, it sounded horrible, like someone had set up an iPhone voice memo in the back of the room. That is the downside of doing things live. So I'm re-recording it for you right now, and it should sound much better. Enjoy. Thank you for being here this evening. The fact that this many people would come and sit in a 55-degree room to hear me talk about a school with no teachers, no students, no building, and no money is quite a thing to behold. Why are you here right now and not somewhere else? I'd like to venture a few guesses. For some of you, especially those I've known personally for most of my life, you're here to support a longtime friend out of a sense of loyalty, which does not go unnoticed. Thank you for being here. Some of you are here out of curiosity. Perhaps you've heard about classical Christian education, and you assume it's a good thing that you support, but you don't yet understand it well enough to endorse it to others, and you want to be able to do that. Some of you are here out of desperation, or something close to it. Your kids are about to start school, and you're looking for answers quickly. Or you've already started school. Whatever you're doing isn't working for your children like you've hoped, and it's time for a fresh start. And finally, some of you aren't desperate at all. Perhaps you're in a good spot with school, but you just want to give your children the best Christian education possible, and you're willing to give a serious hearing to each of your options. So whether you're the loyal, the curious, the desperate, or the content, I want to commend you for your commitment to the thoughtful education of your children. Many of you know me well, but for those who don't, I'll give a brief introduction. My name is Brandon Rorig, and I've been a part of Awakened Church here since its inception in 2010 as a member then as a home group leader, and most recently as an elder. I grew up in nearby Plain City, Ohio, graduated from Ohio State in 2013 with a BS in mathematics, and 2014 with a Master of Education. I spent four years teaching math at Olentangy High School, followed by another five years to the present running my own business, Sound and Light Creative, which serves Central Ohio through DJ service and videography. I'm also on part-time staff here at Awaken. My wife of 11 years, Katie, is in the back, and our one-year-old son, Ellis, is back there somewhere. Tonight's presentation will flow from broad principles to specific details. We'll begin with basic Christian principles of education that all believers can and should agree upon, and then move into the various educational choices facing parents, then an introduction to classical Christian education, and finally, we'll chart a potential way forward for Virtues Academy between now and next fall. I'll wrap up by 8 o'clock to make sure there's adequate time for Q&A. Please join me in prayer before we go any further. Lord, we acknowledge that you are truly Lord of all. You created us. 
you created our children, and you've entrusted them to us here on earth. Give us wisdom where we are lacking. Help us to see education from a heavenly perspective. Give us fresh eyes to see things as they really are. Lord, we're inadequate. We're prone to selfishness and short-sightedness, but we know that with you, all things are possible. So we ask, Lord, that you'd bless our efforts here. I ask that you'd touch our hearts and minds in this area of Christian education and help each of us to do what's right for our children. In Jesus' authority, I pray. Amen. So what can everyone in this room agree upon? If you're a parent, you have one of the greatest privileges in the whole world. Training a young person, made in God's image, to become the man or woman that God designed them to become. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do well-trained children ever rebel? Of course. But the proverb is still true. There's a deep connection between our parenting and our children's long-term spiritual well-being. The decisions we make for our children echo into eternity, including decisions about their education. Whose job is it to educate our children? It's not the government's job. It's not the school's job. It's not the church's job. It's your job. It's my job. As Christian parents, we sometimes partner with others in loco parentis, in the place of the parent, to help us with this task. But we own the task of education for our own children. In Ephesians 6.4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger, meaning... Don't be so harsh and critical of your children that you defeat their spirits. So instead of doing that, do what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word rendered instruction in the ESV is the Greek word paideia. And understanding this phrase, the paideia of the Lord, is absolutely crucial to understanding what Paul is really instructing here. Part of the problem with translation is that we don't always have a perfect one-to-one equivalent in English, so meanings can be obscured. This word paideia can be understood to mean enculturation, a way of life that is meant to be passed from one generation to the next. To the Greeks, paideia was more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It included one's values, morals, worldview, and affections. What do we value? What do we think is morally upright? What story do we tell to make sense of the world? What do we hold as good, as true, and as beautiful? These questions are all part of the paideia, that Paul is instructing Christian fathers to pass down to their children. We are to give our children the gift of an entire way of life, a Christian paideia that pleases the Lord. That's what the command in Ephesians 6.4 means. So why is this discussion of paideia necessary? Well, it's necessary because in order for us parents to make wise decisions about our children's education, we must first understand that any education, public, private, Homeschool will necessarily include the transmission of someone's paideia. It's unavoidable. In other words, there's no such thing as a values-neutral education. By its very nature, education is more than the communication of facts and information. It's not a matter of whether values are being passed down. It's about whose values. This reality became painfully clear in 2020. When schools went online and many parents got their first up-close look at the godless philosophies that public educators foisted upon their unsuspecting children. Ideas like critical race theory, gender theory, and cultural Marxism 
long confined to the halls of the university, had made their way into teacher training programs and into kindergarten classrooms. But I would contest that while these extreme ideologies do pose a threat to our children and are obviously cause for concern, they should not be the primary cause of concern for parents who wish to inculcate a Christian paideia in their children. In other words, if you found a public school who was not teaching these things, and even had administrators who spoke loudly against them, I would issue the very same caution to Christian parents considering enrolling their children in this relatively good public school. Here's why. Public schools, by their very nature, are committed to a God-free worldview that informs the curriculum and culture of the school. Ideologies like scientism, that science is the only way to know reality, or progressivism, that humans are basically good and we can work toward utopia through social engineering, or moral relativism, that morality resides with a subject rather than some objective standard, may or may not be taught explicitly in a public school. They are, however, caught as implicit elements of both curriculum and pedagogy. Two years ago at a conference, I heard this quote from scholar Chris Schlecht, who summed up this issue perfectly while describing his own experience. Here's what he said. In not mentioning God, my public school teachers preached a thundering sermon every day. By implication, they taught that God is not relevant to most areas of human endeavor. The most destructive things I was taught in public school were not the outright falsehoods that were presented, like I descended from apes, the Puritans were nasty people, etc. The most destructive things I was taught were, by far, subtle lies about the character of God. Daily, this lesson was reinforced to me. Two and two are four. The Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776, and frogs breathe in water, regardless of whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord. I had been a theist since childhood, and I never relinquished this belief. But with every school lesson, in every class period, I was taught to think like an atheist, and I didn't even know that I was being indoctrinated. From ages 5 to 18, the average American student will spend a total of 16,000 hours in school. If you spent 16,000 hours soaking in a vat of perfume, you'd smell like that perfume for the rest of your life. What kind of environment are we choosing to soak our children in for 16,000 hours? Does that environment help us pass along a Christian paideia? Or does it pass along an entirely different one? Two hours a week at church and a few minutes before bedtime do not stand a chance at successfully countering 16,000 hours of formal education. Despite this reality, Christian parents have happily sent their children to public schools for decades. My parents did, and I don't criticize or fault them for that decision. Most of you who grew up in Christian families probably went to public schools too. What's the rationale here? There are a variety of reasons for doing so, some better than others. Some of us have been ignorant. We bought the progressive sales pitch that school is about college and career readiness, and we haven't carefully considered the implications of someone else passing their paideia onto our children through public school. Some of us have economic reasons. Public schools are free in a sense, or at least we're already paying for them, so we might as well use them. Some of us have used lines like, our schools are better than average, an argument we dealt with a little bit ago, or I went to public school and I didn't turn out that bad, as if not that bad is a good standard for our own children. And some parents want their Christian children to be salt and light in an otherwise dark place. I'm really sympathetic to that one. I grew up in churches that emphasize the Great Commission and this idea that we make disciples everywhere we go. 
obviously we want our children to have non-Christian friends and to be able to show Christ to them. But to this argument for public schooling, I say, let's get our priorities straight. Having our children participate in Great Commission work is a priority, but so is raising them up in the Padilla of the Lord. That's a direct command from Scripture. And if giving our children gospel opportunities jeopardizes our ability to inculcate a Christian view of all things, is it worth it? Plus, consider the very real possibility that your children will be the ones evangelized too by the culture of the school. They are massively outnumbered. The system is against them. Now, by no means do I want to turn wisdom into the law here and say, you must, where God has not said that. But I want Christian parents to seriously consider the potential consequences of the salt and light perspective on sending our Christian children to public schools or other non-Christian offerings like charter schools, which fare no better in this respect. This is a seriously weighty matter for Christian parents who all want their children to grow up in the faith. If public schools are off the table, what are our other, much better options for education? Well, many in this room have sent their children to traditional private Christian schools, which come with their own set of pros and cons. On the pro side, your children are likely going to a school with children from other believing families, or at least a much higher percentage than in a public setting. The quality of education itself might be a notch higher than even an affluent suburban public school. They're receiving instruction on the Bible. Their teachers are unlikely to be antagonistic toward Christian morality. These are all welcome departures from the public school setting, but there are some drawbacks, at least one obvious and one hidden. The obvious drawback is the cost. Traditional private Christian schools can be cost prohibitive for all but the most affluent families. The bigger a private school gets, the more staff it hires, the more programs and activities it supports, the higher the tuition bill. This automatically disqualifies many. And the more hidden drawback is this, and by the way, I have no Christian school in mind, I'm speaking in total generality. Just because a Christian school calls itself Christian does not mean that its culture or curriculum are conducive to a Christian paideia. It may be, but it's not a necessity. And as you get into high school, you get things like Christian parents who see an ostensibly Christian school as a great place to stick rebellious Billy so he'll straighten up a bit. Ask anyone who went to a traditional private Christian school if all their classmates were actively following Christ and they'll laugh at you. Many traditional private Christian schools have also accepted the progressive idea that school is about college and career readiness, when in reality it's about something much deeper, paideia, the cultivation of virtue. In the book The Battle for the American Mind, Pete Hegseth and David Goodwin painstakingly illuminate the century-long progressive plot to transform education from an enterprise centered on creating virtuous citizens into one that merely gets students ready for the workforce. This was an intentional, deliberate change helped along during the 20th century by progressive education reformers like John Dewey and Horace Mann. The American public school system is a direct result of this way of thinking about education, but so are many Christian schools. Their pedagogy, their methods, are thoroughly progressive. Adding a Bible class to the curriculum doesn't change that. So, what about homeschooling? In our church movement, homeschooling has been a popular alternative to the government schools for decades. In fact, homeschooling is growing rapidly all over our country, accelerated by school closures and lockdowns. There are 3 million homeschoolers in America right now. I was personally homeschooled for the first couple years of kindergarten and first grade, and it was really beneficial to me. I have no warnings to issue about homeschooling at all. 
But instead, I have a few considerations for parents who are currently homeschooling that might push you an inch further toward classical Christian school than you are now. We haven't even really talked about classical Christian education yet, but stay with me. First is consolidation of resources. Being a homeschool parent is hard work. There's the effort to prepare, the effort to instruct, and the effort to assess, all on top of your other parental duties. Multiply these efforts by the number of children you have, and homeschooling can quickly feel overwhelming. As we've discussed, parents have the ultimate responsibility to raise our children in the payday of the Lord. But this responsibility can include partnering with classical Christian teachers who share your spiritual and educational goals for your children. When you consider the limited resources of any community, there's wisdom in having just a few parents from within that community become teachers so that not every parent has to reinvent the wheel with their own children. Second is educational expertise. As a parent, there's a good chance you can effectively teach basic arithmetic to your children. You can teach them how to read. But what about advanced algebra? What about Latin, the periodic table, the Federalist Papers? As our children outgrow our own educational expertise, we naturally become more reliant on teachers who have dedicated their careers to mastering advanced topics. Teachers at classical Christian schools fill this gap. These teachers don't need to be university trained. In fact, there are advantages if they aren't. But they will be people who care deeply about the subject matter with which they've been entrusted and who share a thoroughly Christian understanding of all things. Lastly is the benefit of community. Virtually all homeschool families work hard to build community with like-minded families through co-ops, church communities, or neighbors, but it's not always practical. Different schedules, different age levels, and even different educational philosophies can make it hard to maintain meaningful community while homeschooling. Classical Christian education provides a natural opportunity for families to create lasting bonds with one another. In this close-knit environment, parents have others with whom they can celebrate successes, share burdens, and work toward a common vision of educating their children. Children will develop lasting friendships as they learn and grow alongside peers who share their values. So now you have some things to be mad at me about, whether you've historically chosen public or private schools for your children. But now that you're squirming in your seat a bit, I want to help you relax. Let me bring you along a journey that I've been on for a couple years now. This is the journey toward classical Christian education. My first exposure to classical Christian education was several years ago now, as I heard about influential Christian leaders like Greg Kokel and Rod Dreher sending their kids to a new type of Christian school. But this type of school wasn't new at all. In fact, it was very old, and people forgot about it for a long time, and then they rediscovered it again. I learned that there was an entire movement dedicated to recovering the lost tools of learning, based on a 1947 book by Dorothy Sayers called The Lost Tools of Learning, in which modern educators were called to return to the time-tested principles of old. As someone who set out for a career in education, only to be discouraged by the extremely unproductive environment of the American public high school, I was intrigued by what I was learning. So in 2021, I took a chance and attended the annual conference of the Association of Classical Christian Schools. This conference was called Repairing the Ruins, named after John Milton's observation that education seeks to restore the ruins created by our first parents, Adam and Eve. In just a few days' time, I was sold. The people who spoke at the conference spoke my language. They shared my concerns about our decaying culture, my heart for the Great Commission, and my passion for educating the next generation. These were my people. A seed was planted that summer that would continue to grow. 
Over the next year, I began having conversations with people in our church about this idea. Could a classical Christian school work here in Columbus, Ohio? Do people want it? Slowly, I became convinced that many Christian parents made the decisions they did about education out of necessity, not because they were convinced that what they were doing was actually the best possible thing for their children. Sure, there are some passionate homeschooling families, but they tend to be the exception. Most Christian parents want a great education for their children, but due to the pressures of life and money and time, they find themselves settling for the least worst option available to them. It became clear to me that parents needed another option. Something that would not only be not bad, but actually wonderful, setting up their children for a lifetime of Christian fruitfulness and success. This past summer, I attended Repairing the Ruins again and was once again inspired. At this point, I made the decision to bring this model home and give it a try. Fast forward a few months, and here we sit. Virtues Academy is no longer an idea, but a project in motion. So what is classical Christian education anyway? Simply put, it's a form of education that makes central the lordship of Jesus over all creation. In classical Christian education, no fact can be truly understood apart from the foundational understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of mathematics, he's Lord of English, and he's Lord of history. In a classical Christian school, students learn all things through the lens of a Christian worldview. Classical Christian education prioritizes the cultivation of virtue it understands the goal of the Christian parent as the cultivation of paideia, and it works alongside them in the discipleship of their children. The early church father, Augustine, took the cardinal virtues of fortitude, justice, prudence, and temperance, and added to them faith, hope, and love to develop the historic seven Christian virtues. But historically understood, virtue is not limited to morality. When we teach children to think well, we instill intellectual virtues— when we help them communicate well, we instill rhetorical virtues. These virtues are so central to the project of classical Christian education that we've named our school after them, Virtues Academy. Classical Christian education focuses on the liberal arts. Liberal arts are the exercises in thinking that have long formed the core of the classical curriculum. The liberal arts are divided into the three arts of language called the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and the four arts of numbers called the quadrivium, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. Author Dorothy Sayers famously observed that the trivium aligns well with children's natural capacities at different levels of development. Elementary-age children are especially adept at learning the what, grammar. Junior-high-age children want to know the why, logic. And high school-age children love to communicate and persuade, rhetoric. At classical Christian schools, instruction is organized with this pedagogical framework in mind. Modern education sees college and career readiness as the mark of a well-educated student, but classical education views mastery of the liberal arts as more important. When a student has mastered the liberal arts, she becomes free to view the world as it really is. She's liberated. College and career readiness are not sufficient ends in themselves, but the natural byproducts of a child who has mastered the ability to think, write, and speak. Classical Christian education appreciates Western civilization. The first commandment with a promise is to honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Classical Christian education honors our Western civilizational heritage as an application of this commandment and promise. We don't whitewash the sins of our ancestors, nor do we apologize for them. Instead, we count ourselves blessed to have received such a rich and virtuous inheritance from our cultural forefathers. From Plato to Shakespeare to C.S. Lewis— 
Children at classical Christian schools learn to love our civilization's greatest minds through their greatest works. Modern education teaches children to look at their heritage with embarrassment, exaggerating its vices and minimizing its virtues. For all its emphasis on multiculturalism, there is little genuine appreciation of other cultures, mostly just disdain for the West. Classical Christian education believes that a unique love for one's own heritage and culture is the prerequisite for honoring and respecting the culture of others. Classical Christian education trains the affections, not just the intellect. What is good? What is true? What is beautiful? Our education influences the way we answer these questions. Classical education treats goodness, truth, and beauty as objective measures of God's world, not just personal preferences. Teachers help children to love the good, the true, and the beautiful, as well as to reject what is evil, false, and ugly. At classical Christian schools, this cultivation of rightly ordered affections is paramount to education. Children will learn not only to appreciate these qualities around them, but also to reflect these things in their own lives. Modern education, by contrast, views goodness, truth, and beauty as subjective descriptors that we apply to the world. Nothing is really good, really true, or really beautiful. These are just words we use to describe our inner feelings. What follows is an anything-goes approach to morality that relativizes the entire discussion with phrases like, my truth. Classical Christian education helps children cut through this cultural chaos and prize the things that matter to God. Classical Christian education promotes a rigorous curriculum with high standards. One hallmark of a classical curriculum is its emphasis on academic achievement. Students are capable of much more than is commonly thought in today's age, and they tend to rise to whatever standard is set for them. When educators set the bar low, we shouldn't be surprised when mediocre results follow. By contrast, classical education expects all students to master basic knowledge in the grammar stage, hone their reasoning skills in the logic stage, and become effective communicators in the rhetoric stage. Classical Christian education views a student's formal education as merely the beginning of a lifelong pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. Modern educators have poured untold sums of money into new paradigms like Common Core and STEM, but with little to show for it. Instead, the U.S. continues to fall further behind the rest of the world. Students from classical Christian schools have performed measurably better than their non-classical peers on objective tests like the SAT. As I hope you can see, what I'm describing is extremely countercultural. I didn't learn one bit of this in my Master of Education program at Ohio State. They might as well have taught the exact opposite of everything I've just said. But I hope that, like myself, when I first heard about classical Christian education, your heart is filled with excitement about what could be. Don't we all desire to give our kids everything we lacked? Classical Christian education is uniquely suited to our time and cultural position. The goals are both micro and macro. Micro, to give each child an education that reflects the kindness of God, and macro, to help restore our cities, states, and nation. Virtues Academy will be one of several hundred schools that the ACCS has helped start all over the United States for the past few decades. They make the process of starting a classical Christian school easier than it could be by granting membership to startup schools and providing them with a host of useful articles, sample documents, and organizational best practices. Virtues Academy is already a startup member of the ACCS and will continue to rely on their organizational strength as we move forward. Aside from our partnership with ACCS, we will be an independent school, 
which means that we are committed to not taking government money as a means to grow the school more quickly. In the state of Ohio, Virtues Academy will be a NCNT, non-chartered, non-tax-supported school, and we will not pursue a charter with the state of Ohio. This is common practice for religious schools like ours. When a school accepts government grants or other scholarships, these things are not offered out of the goodwill of some bureaucrat's heart. When the government helps pay for your school, there is no small string attached. Whether you realize that now or 10 years down the road when you've built a school dependent on the government who has decided to cash in on all their favors. This creates some pain in the short term for parents who would otherwise be unable to attend without the help of vouchers, but it's a long-term consideration for our school's continued faithfulness to biblical principles. Virtues Academy will be organized as a 501c3 nonprofit so that we can accept tax-deductible donations. We'll be filing for that status soon. A 501c3 requires a board of directors made up of at least a president, a treasurer, and a secretary. This board should include people from diverse professional backgrounds who understand and seek to fiercely protect the mission of the school. Board members will be selected and made public in due time. There was still so much to figure out about Virtues Academy. I hope that many of you are influential in helping us make key decisions in the near future, but let me share a little of where my head is at in a few key areas related to the school. Location. This is TBD. I'm going to be calling and emailing churches all around Central Ohio that have classroom space and might be willing to let us rent during the week. Ideally, we would not meet here at Awaken due to our current lackluster classrooms. I'll keep you updated as I learn more. Teachers. Anyone with a bachelor's degree is eligible to teach. We'll have an application process, and you'll hear more about that soon. If you have a desire to teach, even if you don't feel like you're qualified, I'd love to hear from you. Don't disqualify yourself due to lack of experience. Not having a teaching degree might actually be an advantage. We'll pay you fairly and as generously as we're able. It won't be what the government schools can pay you, but you'll be doing meaningful work that you can be proud of. Grade levels. That's very much up in the air. The dream would be to have classrooms K-4 through with five teachers, each teaching a separate grade level. Will that happen as soon as fall 2023? It depends on our enrollment. It might, but... It might also be something like K through 2, or combined grade levels, or something else. The classical model is really flexible, and you have to start somewhere. We'll decide on grade levels as we gauge interest over the next few months. School day. The goal is to do a traditional, full-time, five-day-a-week schedule. If a school can't accomplish that right off the bat, you can do a university model where children are in the classroom two or three days a week and at home on the other days. But we're going to shoot for the full-time model because I believe that's a better model for long-term sustainability. That said, parents of students enrolled in the school will still have an important role to play even if they're not on staff. Tuition. Schools similar to ours charge roughly $3,000 per student per year. I'm not saying that's what our tuition will be exactly, but that's a ballpark estimate. Standard advice says you want about 80% of your school's budget which is mostly teacher salaries, to come from tuition. You can use donations to fill in the gaps, but relying too heavily on donations is a recipe for disaster. If that amount sounds like a lot, don't let that dissuade you. There will be opportunities for scholarships. Additionally, ask yourself as a family, what can we sacrifice over the next year to give our children the best gift we can possibly give them? A Christian education. Could we skip vacation? Could we sell a vehicle? Could somebody pick up a part-time job? 
Your money says more about what you value than what your words do. What can we do financially to demonstrate that we value our children's education? These are good things to be thinking about right now. And more information about tuition will come soon. Donors. Startup schools need money to help year one work well regardless of enrollment. You need to be able to pay your teachers right off the bat, but you don't know if your enrollment will cover you. That's where donations can be huge for startups. Eventually, you want to work toward that tuition base covering 80%, like I mentioned earlier. But we hope to partner with believers with means who believe in what we're doing and want to help see us succeed. We'll move into a time of Q&A here in a bit, but I want to remind everyone to sign up for the newsletter. If you're not already subscribed, go to virtues.academy and sign up at the bottom. Tomorrow, I'm going to send you a survey asking you what your thinking is right now. Are you ready to jump in? Are you hesitant for any reason? Additionally, if you have pastor friends who might want their churches to hear this message, I'd love to connect with them and potentially speak at their church. When you get this email from me tomorrow, let me know if there are connections you can help facilitate. I believe our city really needs this. The church needs this. With God's help, we will repair the ruins. We will raise our children in the pity of the Lord. Thanks for listening, and God bless you all.